Way too many first responders are struggling with their fitness, health, and body goals, but you're not alone in that fight. I'm Ted with Fit Responder and with 11 years experience in law enforcement, as well as being a fitness coach for over 15 years myself. I've created some free resources as well as one-to-one professional fitness coaching for first responders. So I want you to check us out, fitresponder.com, or look us up on Instagram at fit.responder. That's fit, period, responder. And let's see you there. Chat soon. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. All right, joining the podcast now all the way from Mustafar, I have Anakin. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing good. Just living the dream. Living the dream. Are there, there's no children on Mustafar, right? Not anymore. <laughs> Classic. How are you doing, man? What's, what's, what's going on down there in Texas? Uh, no, I'm doing good. We've had some weird weather. Nothing too crazy. Just, it's, you know fall it's winter it's fall it's summer it's winter it's fall so figure it out you fucking figure it out i'm uh i just wanted to know figure it out fucking figure it out are you (laughs) are you taking care of my exes down there in texas uh yeah uh you know you make that joke every time you have a texan on i just wanted to let you know man that epo is probably well expired nope no 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 that's a permanent one that's unfortunate that's it is. So yeah. the reason I invited old Anakin on the podcast today is that we we share a little bit of common history <laughs> in that we're both flakes or we were flaky um, yeah. in our 20s. And uh, we didn't know it at the time, but we lived actually in, in probably some pretty close proximity about 20 years ago. Uh, I don't think we ever ran across each other. We might have even worked at the same gas station, which is insane. Yeah, I I was thinking about that when we were talking about it before, and I actually, my memory started coming back about that event. So let's just talk about that because it's poorly okay. made, right, cool. and I can so, do whatever I want. So, <laughs> uh, like you said, I was a flake. I, I moved to Colorado chasing after a girl, and got a job at this dinky little gas station in this dinky little town and i shouldn't have done that it's not the jedi way <laughs> no yeah so anyway um I, I was 
working at this dinky gas station, this was actually the first time I ever had any exposure to the existence of methamphetamine because we sold those ephedrine pills back then in the early 20s. And guys would come in at late at night and buy like fistfuls of them. And my coworker who was training, he was like, oh, yeah, they're going to use that to cook meth. And I'm like, what's meth? <clears throat> so she explained that to me. And um, anyway, so I was working and it was my day off. And I got called by the guy who hired me or the lady who hired me and said that the guy they had got to open had just like fucked off. Like he had just left. <laughs> so they needed me to come in and on my day off to cover. I think that was actually my last day working there also. But so what you're saying is that you had to come in potentially, I mean we don't know for sure, but potentially because of me. Yeah, that's that's what it seems like. That's a blue falcon move right there. I don't know if it's true or not. So here, here's why for cops. So I don't think it counts as a blue falcon, does it? Uh, it's still fucking your buddy, okay. right? We've never met. You just fucked over some dude you didn't know. That's, I still that that's not good. So here's the backstory on my part: is I I worked for these people and uh, they owned a lot of businesses, and I liked the job that I had. And they said, "Hey, we like you. We want you to come over and work at this gas station and see if you like it." And that required my dumb ass to wake up at, you know, the ass crack of dawn because that's when gas stations open. Mm -hmm. And I was tired and uh, I didn't know how to do anything. And I just said, ah, this sucks. And I left and I <laughs> left within five minutes of being there, which looking back on that now is like fucking embarrassing. <laughs> I wouldn't even like give it the time of day. But that was just kind of like. I, I mentioned it on a, on a podcast coming up that's not out yet is I just basically took the least the path of least resistance. Yeah, that describes my 20s, late teens and early 20s to a T seeking the path of least resistance. And it's it's kind of weird. I don't know. I can't speak for you, but I can certainly speak for me. If you would have told me when I was 18 to i don't know about 22 23 that i would have had a decent career uh no i really not and i'm just gonna fuck off from job to job and uh <laughs> live in shitty apartments until i die kind of thing i just i didn't i didn't really care you know i i just didn't have a whole lot of direction i just you know whatever man life's you know life's about fucking every day you know just surviving and, and nothing more was right. that kind of you too? The, no, I, I had more of a plan, but my plan was uh, a little too grandiose for my uh, skill set. Let's put it that way. Um, Were you going to be a porn star and no, just couldn't no, make the cut? No, no, no. That wasn't that wasn't my my goal. But it like I mean, that's a retirement plan at this point. But anyway, uh, so. I was in college and I was in college for a specific degree plan and I was, my mental health was not the best at the time. I was like off of a breakup with my high school sweetheart and I was going through a lot of shit that I didn't understand at the time. And I didn't know that you can talk to people <laughs> about what you're feeling. And um, 
So I met this chick on the internet as was completely taboo in the, in the early twenties, in the early two thousands. Um, and we started talking and I met her in person over spring break and we decided we were going to get married in three months. And so I was failing college and decided I was going to take a break from college because my student loans were being revoked because I was failing and I was just going to take quote unquote, take a break. What have I done? Uh, I'm going to have to switch drinks. Um, so anyway, yeah, I was planning on, on going into a, a profession that has nothing to do with law enforcement, but something that would have been financially lucrative because obviously I was going to be rich. That's what I was told growing up is that I'll be rich and I'll have a good career and make sure that I, I have lots of money and whatever. And um, nobody, nobody, <laughs> nobody understood that's not how it really works <laughs> for most people. Um, but I, I was basically biding my time until my ship came in and I didn't know it that that's what I was really doing. So that's why I was a flake in my early twenties. Is that just, it was all going to land in my lap any minute. <laughs> so, so, you know, here was my, my version of that. Actually real quick. What was it though? I mean, what did you, was there a specific thing that you wanted to do to become rich or just... I was an architect. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like George Costanza. Uh, was he an architect? Yeah. Oh, he wanted uh, to be an architect. He wanted to be an architect. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, I remember those now. It's been and then so long. A marine biologist so too. Yeah. You know, that was my that was what I wanted to be in junior high was a marine biologist. You you picked the wrong name, man. You should have been George, not Anakin. Oh, please. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was the pool. <laughs> so so you know, in my... retrospect, yeah, that's kind of the story of my early twenties. That it was the pool? Well, no, no, like George Costanza, like always looking for the next, the next leg up, you know. Here was here was my thing: the the, the golden goose, the thing I was waiting yeah. for, lotto tickets. Well, right, of course. I just <laughs> assumed that someday I would just hit it. Like I'm, you know, I play enough, I'm going to win. Right. Look, I mean, somebody has to win, right? Some, Eventually, you, you got to play to win, right? It. Exactly. So speaking of flaky jobs, I worked a gas station and all these old ladies would come in all the time and they were always winning. Not a lot, but <laughs> right. you know, they 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 you know they bring in a two dollar ticket, win eighty. That's all I right. saw. I didn't realize that they probably spent a hundred bucks to do it, you know? Yeah, seriously. And yeah. so we're like, Oh, these old ladies, they know what they're doing, and you'd think about like what what plans they have. I mean, you worked at a gas station too. The, the thing I always went oh, by the way, I quit the gas station within, you know, five hours. A year later, I worked at gas station for like the next four years. So, uh, but, oh wow, you probably had a little the, bit more training. <laughs> I did, I did. Yeah. But you know, the old ladies would come in, and yeah. you know what I what I took from that was, oh, you got to play because they'd always ask what number, right? What number is the ticket? Yeah. If it was low, they would play it. If it was high, they would not. So it's like you got to play the low tickets. I remember that tickets. from working at the gas station. I mean, I was only at that gas station for maybe a month and a half, two months. So, you know, it's not like I had a lot of experience on the kid that fucked off and left me high and dry. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, that, that that just goes back to my role. I mean, I'm still planning. My retirement plan is winning the lottery, but I'm doing this whole cop thing just as a backup plan. I mean, I'm, I'm oh, going to win perfect. the lotto one of these days. I hope so. you do, man. I, 
I I've reformed myself. I try not to play as much as I used to. Uh, if, a good way to know if I'm stressed out is yeah. <laughs> did I buy a lotto ticket that day? Um, well, I'll spend like five bucks on a lotto ticket a couple times a month, maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say I'll I'll buy a scratcher every yeah. once in a while. Uh, if the Powerball gets big, then you know I might buy some tickets and yeah. But besides, well, see, that, I, I always try to. to. I always try to buy Powerball tickets, and this is just ridiculous, but I try to buy Powerball tickets after the big jackpot's been won because in my mind that when everybody's buying the tickets, that increases your likelihood you're going to have to split the jackpot with like 500 people. There you go. Yeah, that's how it works. That's my strategy right there. (coughs) Sorry, excuse me. Well, I I guess we should... You know what? I was going to, but now I can't. <laughs> now I can't. Thanks a whole lot. You know, what's interesting about this young fella here, Mr. Uh, Anakin uh, Costanza, Mr. Anakin Costanza here, <laughs> oh, is yeah. that he uh, he messaged me and said he started listening to the podcast. I was like, don't listen to episode one, which he did. And so he has kind of a weird perspective where he's heard a lot of the early ones and just a very few of the new ones. What? Because you jump from like nineteen to like you know season two, you know episode sixty whatever. Yeah. In my mind, there's a big difference, but maybe there's not. What? What's your take on that? Let me be narcissistic here for a minute. <laughs> I'll indulge your ego briefly. No, hold on. I want the truth though. Don't don't stroke my cock. I mean, don't stroke my ego. <laughs> no, no. Um. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I think that your the content and the plan that you have for your episodes has improved. Like you, you have better sound quality. Your intros are put together. You, you, you sound like you're, you're making a professional podcast, but you still have that same poorly made uh, aesthetic that you did in the early days when you didn't know what you were doing. You were just trying to like, like figure it out. So I think that you, you have improved overall as a podcast, but you still are true to your roots that way. It will always be poorly made. I'll tell you guys right should. now that, and I'm tell this won't happen, but let's say I get, you know, some production company reaches out to me and says, Hey, we want poorly made to be on, our platform and we're going to send you a bunch of nice equipment out. We're going to do no, 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 we're not doing that. It's poorly made or it's nothing. Okay. That's the way it has to be like a 10 grand a year contract to in free equipment. 10 10 grand a year. Uh, You know, it's it's some chicken scratch. That's not a living. It's probably would help. Oh, it would help a ton. Please send me 10 grand. But I I don't know, man. You at what point do you sell out, right? Well, so they came they came to you. We're we're indulging this fantasy of yours. They I come do love to fantasies you because they see something in your podcast they like, or rather, they hear something. Let me get some good fantasy like. music going. Continue though. Okay, so <laughs> they they come to you because they like something about your podcast. They're not gonna necessarily want you to change anything so they send you the good equipment the right soundboard they maybe send you to some classes on how to not to suck at this stuff <laughs> and but you still 
<laughs> you still can make the poorly made police podcast. You'll just make it be making it professional. But then it wouldn't be poorly made. Listen, I work with plenty of professionals who do their job poorly every day. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's uh, like that scene in This is Spinal Tap, but it goes to 11. Why I don't just make 10 I don't louder. I've ever seen that. That's the only part of that movie you need to watch. Numbers all go to 11. I don't know. I, I just feel like it would be wrong. I don't know. It wouldn't be poorly made. I guess it's me still, and I'm not going to figure out what I'm doing. But it, we're, we're, we're not talking about – we're talking about me. We should be talking about you. So let's, let, let, me, let me stop stroking my own ego, and let's talk about you a little bit. So you, like I, got into policing a little later in life. You got in later than me. I was um, in, my, in my late 20s. How old were you when you started? I was in my mid-30s when I started. Why policing? How did you end up with that career field? So, yeah, I was in I was in the, uh, the finance industry, we'll say, and I'd been at my job for ten years, which almost ten years, which was the longest I'd ever stayed at any job in my entire life. Which every time that anniversary clicked by, blew my mind. But I'd been here for a year, two years, three years, etc. And then um, I hated my job. I absolutely, it was affecting me. I was miserable, like every day going to work. And then I, uh, I got moved around because there was a big merger with some other banks. And I got passed up for a promotion at this new site because they quote unquote, didn't know me, even though I had worked for the company for almost a decade, the people in that particular call center who were originally from the other bank that we merged with didn't know me. So they were like, yeah, you're great on paper. You interviewed wonderful, but we don't know you. So we're going to give it to this other person. And that pissed me off. <laughs> I was just like, that is some bullshit. Of course, I didn't have a spine at that point. Um, that didn't come until after the academy. But um, at that point, I just I decided I got to find something else to do. And so uh one Saturday, Saturday, Sunday morning, I woke up after having a dream that I was a police officer and I went to pick up breakfast for my wife and kids at, at McDonald's and I was standing in line to pick up the order and I started talking to this guy in line and he was a cop. He told me he was a cop and like where he worked and, you know, I asked him some questions about it. It was just a weird coincidence and I'm, I'm a big believer in signs especially when they slap you in the face. And I'm like, when I was a little kid, that's what I wanted to do. And at this point in my life, I realized that making money and, and, and having the, 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 the ideal profession is not what matters. It's, it goes, I'd never heard the saying, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Nobody ever told me that growing up. Uh, it was fuck bitches get money <laughs> kind of kind of thing right not not specifically that but um uh, i had a anyways, lot of people it, say that to me tons fuck bitches get money or never tons, tons of them yeah the, the, the fuck I heard, bitches get get money part yeah, yeah i heard that yeah. daily um my yeah. dad said that my mom said that both my grandparents yeah. my brothers yeah everybody yeah, see, told that to me so nobody no like 
nobody actually ever said, I never heard that until actually I was in the, the academy, but that was the mentality that I had. My parents were both, my dad was a blue collar factory worker. My mom worked in the finance industry, like, and they hated their jobs, but they went every day because we were lower middle class. We had, we always had a roof over our head. We always had food on the table, but it was like, it was always a struggle for them. And they wanted more for me because they never had like enough. Right. And, you know, they came from, they improved on their situation that they grew up in and they wanted me to improve on my situation. So their focus was to encourage me to reach for the stars. Right. Nobody ever tells you to reach to the stop for the stars. You fall flat on your ass if you don't make it. Right. So, um, not, I'm not shitting on my parents. They were, they were the best they possibly could be given the circumstances that they came from and better than a whole hell of a lot of other parents I knew. But uh, anyway, so where was I? I? I totally lost track of what I was talking about. Uh, you were talking about how your parents sucked and you were just trash talking them. Oh my God. They'll think I don't ever hear this, but <laughs> so, oh yeah. So I hated my job and I, I just, I went home after talking to that cop at McDonald's and I was telling my wife about it. And my wife is, she's actually what caused me to stop being a flake entirely. Right. She, like she was, like, I was always the guy, like I said, um, a, a path of least resistance, you know, it was easier for me to stay at that job in the finance industry than it was for me to go find another job. So that was why I stayed there for so long. I got, you know, a lot of accolades at that job. People liked me. I got, got moved around to different positions, promoted, you know, and stuff. And so it was easier for me to stay there. But like the winning over the woman that is my wife now was the hardest thing that I ever stuck with because she had a lot going on in her life that made it difficult for her to be in a relationship with somebody who was not the father of her children. Um, they weren't married, but they were in kind of on again, off again situation. But I like to think that like, as a kid, I, I gave up. If any, if the going got tough, I thought that, you know, the old saying, if the going gets tough, the tough get going. I thought that meant the tough left. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's, that's kind of the mentality I had. It was like, oh, this is tough. I'm going to go do something easy. <laughs> right. That's, that was my, I try, I did Taekwondo when I was like 10. And like the first time I tested for like whatever was white belt before white, after white belt, the first time I tested for it, I, I, I passed, but it was hard and I didn't like it. So I never went back. <laughs> so that was, that was like my modus operandi was if, if something became uncomfortable, I found something else to do. Right. That went for relationships, friendships, jobs, extracurricular activities. I, I just, I didn't put effort into things that weren't easy. And um, I, that changed with her. Like I, I, like we, we were friends at work. We, we um, did some innocent flirting at work because we worked together. That's how I met her. First woman that I started. <laughs> that's what, it, that's what played in my head the moment I saw her. Um, but, uh, I am totally we fucking you with the sounds. I apologize. No, it's okay. I, I'm, 
shiny objects distract me easily. So it's okay. I, you got to help me stay on track. All right. So um, we were friends for a long time at work before we got, in, we're both in a situation where we could date each other. And even when we were in the situation we could date, date each other, it still had its challenges because of the, the, the father of her two kids. And like, I just stuck with it. I mean, I just made, I was going to make it work come hell or high water. And I did some kind of asshole things to drive a wedge between the two of them. <laughs> and I'm not proud of it, but uh, it's certainly, I mean, I, we've been married for almost 13 years now and that's she's cool. the best, best thing that's ever happened to me. I, I tell her all the time that she is the fountain from which all good things in my life spring. But that's enough about her. Um, I came home and I talked to her about it and her being the, the awesome person she is. She told me that whatever I wanted to do, she would support me. Like how many wives would, would do that for a guy? Like I have a good job. I'm making decent money. We work for the same company or in different locations at this point, but she, she's willing to support me changing my entire career uh, for something that would pay less, would be more dangerous, would have shittier hours, but she wanted me to be happy. And she knew that like, if I was at peace at work, then it would make things easier at home. Does that make sense? No, no, it definitely makes sense. If I could share a little bit, please. I do. think, I think that my wife kind of grounded me it may be a little bit of a different way you know i i had girlfriends and stuff but nothing nothing really serious until her and um mm -hmm. i think in the long run if because i i mean i met her young and and i was still a little directionless you know early in a relationship and i mean you know now i, I fucking make a podcast in my basement that's right. that's the definition yeah. of direct directionless but what can a grown man seeks meme lord as a career path? God, I'm fucking embarrassment. But I'm gonna let I'm gonna leave it there. I was gonna try <laughs> and stroke your ego again, but yeah, no, 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 I already stroked enough today. But I just think that if I hadn't have met her, that I probably would have just continued where she was the kind of person that made me want to be better. You know what I mean? She fought through some obstacles and, and she got through them. And I, I saw that and I was like, well, you know, it's it, it's good to have somebody that uh, stands by you, but is also going to make you a better person. So I I do think I have that to thank her for. It, it would definitely help. I mean, I think a lot of times we uh, I don't want to take anything away from our wives after we said all that, but. I think a lot of times we do sell ourselves short. All of us do. And uh and not just the sense that, you know, I believe that we're all capable of more than than we we achieve. You know, like yeah, I could make a, a well-made podcast. I could. Not not in that that sense, but I, I think just sometimes it's to that whole like, oh, I'm just, you know, the the whole Eeyore thing, right? Oh yeah. Oh well, I you know, kind of thing. That may be a common thread between the two of us because the voice in my head is very self-deprecating yeah i it it definitely is for me too and it's harder harder on ourselves than we deserve yeah 
Oh, hey there. The holiday season is upon us. Bedazzle your Christmas tree with PMPM ornaments via K Fonta Designs. Or get your friends, co-workers, and family PMPM merch. Or fuck everyone and treat yourself. For the nerds like me in your life, get them the gift of a PMPM coin or patch from Ghost Patch. Otherwise, check out the huge selection of mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, and more in the Poorly Made Police Meme Spring Shot. Links to these in the podcast description and in the bio of Poorly Made Police Memes on Facebook and Instagram. And we'll be back to the podcast. You you met this cop, you talked to your wife about it. How soon after that did you start really exploring law enforcement? Um, let me see if I can remember this timeline right. My daughter was born, so it was after 2010. Um, I think we were still working in the same building, but not the same floor. It was like the next week. Like I, I went, obviously, I, I live in North Texas, which is the Dallas-Fort Worth metro, Metroplex. And so I immediately went to Dallas PD first because I know that they're huge, right? And I figured after, after seeing a few Dallas officers at work, they'd probably take anybody. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I, I went to Dallas PD. I got their, you know, their, the first thing they give you is a personal history statement to fill out. And in Texas, the personal history statement for somebody, for a flake, somebody who's spent their life following the path of least resistance, that personal history statement was a beast to fill out. Like they wanted to know like every job that I'd had since I was 16 years old and only gave me two pages to fill out. I was like, I'm going to have to come up with some additional documentation for this. Um, and so there was a, a, you know, I needed contact information for ex, my ex-wives and I needed contact information for a sibling that I'm estranged from and haven't talked to since I got married. And it was really intimidating for me being who I was. And I, I was ready to give up after I started reading through it. And my wife was like, no, don't give up. You just started. Keep going. You can do this. And so I, uh, I made all the uncomfortable phone calls that I needed to make and got the information that I needed. And I turned it in. I went and tested with, uh, with Dallas PD. And um, they had the, uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like the last part of the test was a mile and a half run. And I, I fucking shipped the bet on it, right? So I, I got washed out. Um, I did great on the written test. I did great on everything else but i shit the bed on the on the mile and a half run you know what so, would cause you to run faster what yeah <laughs> no i'd probably just die <laughs> that, would be, that would be yeah um so funny enough i started i started training i started running around my neighborhood to get my mile and a half down and i would listen to like um like a a and there was an app that had like a coach that was a zombie. I don't remember what it was called, but he would like, like the zombie voice would be like, you know, chasing after you and shit. And so that like, I, long story short, I eventually got my mile and a half down to the passing and I went back and I retested and I passed it. And um, 
I did my first oral review board, which was harrowing to say the least for somebody who always sought the path of least resistance. But I kept remembering like, if I could, if I could win my wife over, I can probably do this. You know, if I could convince her to marry me, then, then I got this. So uh, I got through everything. I was just waiting to hear back on my background investigation. And the detective called me and said, yeah, you're actually missing three college credit hours for our requirement. And I was, I, I, again, that was another you know, major setback. And I, I, again, felt like giving up. But what I ended up doing, I had at that point been moved to a different location at the, at the bank that I worked at. It was way the hell further away. This was like a two year, two, let's see. I'd been trying to get on with the Dallas police department for two years at this point, like between retest dates and reschedule, you know, background investigation and everything that I had to do. It was, it was two years. And um, at that point when they called and told me that I was like, all right, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and get those college credits. I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to like focus on getting ready to go into this new career. And I left the bank December 12th, 2012. And uh, a friend, a former colleague convinced me to go work with them at another bank temporarily, quote unquote, because they needed someone like me. I don't know what that meant, but um, I went and worked there and I was going to school part-time working at this other bank and working at a, at a restaurant part-time that I realized this shit may really out me if somebody I know listens to this. But I was doing all three of those at the same time and all the while still trying to keep up with my PT to make sure that I didn't relapse or whatever. Um, but yeah, I ended up, uh, it ended up not working out with Dallas and the other job that I had, uh, I ended up getting laid off from in February of 2013. They like decided they were going to take the whole bank in a different direction. And I started looking up police academies because it wasn't working out with Dallas. It, um, a lot of the other smaller agencies would not hire someone that was not already certified. Um, so I started looking at community colleges uh, to see if they had police academies that I could, I could sign up for. And I did. And the first one that was available was June uh, of 2013. 2013? Yeah, it had to been 2013. And um, so uh, I got to be a stay-at-home dad from February to June, and that was kind of cool. Uh, you must have kind of felt a similar period when you were transitioning to doing your podcast full-time and being your meme lord. Uh, but I started the police academy. It was like, I know you have a, I don't know exactly how you feel because I haven't heard that podcast, but I know you feel a certain kind of way about community college police academies but there are there are two major ones in the area that i'm at and the one i went to was paramilitary they like you stood at attention when someone walked into the classroom uh you you know we had regimented class schedules and instructors and it was it was it was a pretty decent academy from what i can tell um there there are probably better ones but anyway well, uh, as soon here, as I graduated, here's my here's my quick two cents. Yeah. If 
there's some form of stress inoculation, I'm good. Yeah. You know, no, I don't no. know that you need to get your ass beat every day or anything like that. I think some of those go too far and then they don't actually teach you anything. But I, I, as long as you're not just, I don't know, I, I have kind of like, if it's there's no stress involved and the first stress you have is an FTO, I right. think that's a problem. That is a problem. And and we we, we did that. We had, um, so we did have stress inoculation in that academy. We had one instructor who has a reputation in the area from what I can understand. And he would pause his lesson and ask if anybody had questions. And if nobody had questions, he'd PT us. Like he would have breaks built into his lesson. Like this guy is hyper-organized. I, I got to give it to him on that. But he would have a, a time frame built into his, his lesson plans for questions. And if nobody had questions, then that time block would be spill, spent PTing. And it was stressful. And we would like have to do lunges down the, the corridor. And he was just preparing us for our taser certification, our OC certification, and our DT certification that we were doing. And so when we did our, our taser certification, that was not a big deal. But the OC certification is we got OC'd, and then we had to run a gauntlet blind. Um, and then after we thought we were all done with it and were quote unquote decontaminating for the day, we were allowed to, to take our decontamination was go stand in the breeze. Right. That was our decon. Um, we were, we were allowed to have our lunch. And then as soon as we got back from lunch, we got to go on a nice little jog around the campus in the heat to reactivate it. And then we went inside and did a DT gauntlet and it was overwhelming, but we learned what our limits were and what we could push through. And so I, I thought it was a pretty good academy. Like I said, it probably wasn't the best. And I don't know that some of the better academies that we have in the area are even doing anything like that today, especially after COVID. I'm kind of surprised that they could do that shit in a college atmosphere, but I don't. Well, they, they, they didn't do it for long. I don't know if they still do, but like there was, they were constantly the director of the Academy. He was a, a veteran law enforcement officer and he pushed really hard against the, the Academy, the, the college's admin, but because they didn't like seeing us getting OC'd and tasered and like the kids walking around campus, seeing us like, like doing ground fighting in the classroom and stuff. So like, it was traumatic for some of the snowflakes that were there. But that's uh, such a fucking sad world we live in that just watching that is fucking stressful. Yeah. Right. Imagine doing it. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I do have one more point about the community colleges yeah. and it's, it's kind of one of those, like it frustrates me, but at the same time, I'm like, well, cause you know, we, we have these stories, right. About guys going out, working the road before they're certified in some of these States because oh, you have to go yeah. to the state Academy go too far off track because i want you to keep right. telling your story about how you got in but yeah i do on the surface have an issue with basically anybody can get police training i know they do their background kind of thing but you can get people that aren't aren't going to get hired right you get police training and that concerns me a little bit but mm -hmm. you know i don't know maybe that's better than the alternative it's it's kind of a, a tough thing that i think we need to work on in the states on how that works but i agree um i think that the, the community college academies exist, at least in my state, because a lot of like, okay, so I work for an agency that has a, 
a little over 20 sworn officers, right? In, in Texas, that is a medium-sized agency because the vast majority of police departments have a chief of police and a couple of reserve officers that are quote-unquote part-time. That is like the rule in general. So those smaller municipalities can't afford to send people to a regional academy that's standardized and accredited or whatever bullshit. So that's why they hire people who are already certified. So you're either going to get people who are looking for a retirement gig and not committed to the job anymore. They just need uh, health benefits or you're going to get people who put themselves through the academy for the most of the part. And one of our instructors in our, in our academy, he flat out told the whole class, half of you are never going to get hired as a cop. Like there's 20 of us in the classroom. Half of you are never going to get hired by PD. And the half of you that do aren't going to make it two years. And the half of you that make it two years won't make it five. And he was like looking at specific people in the classroom when he was saying it. Very, very ballsy. But um, I, I make it sound like I have respect for this guy. I want to clarify that I do not. <laughs> he was a, an asshole for no reason. But that could be motivating to some people too, though. Like, fuck you, buddy. I'm going to make it. it was, I'm going to prove you it, wrong. It was really discouraging for me. And uh, like when I got to my breaking point in the academy, which they helped me find, um, that guy tried talking to me like one-on-one and like he was giving some kind of pep talk. Then like all shit broke loose in the, in the classroom next door and he had to go take care of that. But I don't know what he was going to say to me, but it kind of had the vibe that it was like, quote unquote, you're going to be one of the good ones. (laughs) Is what he was, what he was saying. I I think, I don't know. Um, Anyway. So after I graduated the police academy, one of the, one of the highlights of my life, there's, there's a few moments in my life that I was, that I was genuinely proud of myself and and graduating the police academy was one of them. I I started something and I finished something, which is a mile away from who I was in my early twenties. Like I said, when the going got tough, I left, I got going. Um, But uh, one of my buddies who was a cop that I met through my wife, she went to high school with him. And he, it turned out he had become a cop and we got to be friends when I met him through her. And uh, he came to my graduation. And of course, I wasn't hired on with a department, so there was nobody there to pin me. But there was a guy who was in the academy class who had been hired by, hired straight out as a peace officer by a small agency out in bumfuck Texas. And his chief was there to pin him. And he had already been working the street on the weekends. Wow. <laughs> like, and, you know, he, this guy's doing okay. He's in small agencies. He actually, his chief sent him to our department to buy some of our retired cruisers. And um, that's- Are you guys selling Vicks? We sold our last Vic already. You son of a bitch. Hey, man, you know, if I was listening to your podcast or knew you were anything more than a funny meme on Facebook, I, I would have let you know. I, I have this- Speaking of grandiose ideas, I really should fucking do something about this, but I want to open a police car museum. So if there's anybody out there that, A, can help me get some fucking cheap police cars for museum, not for personal use, and B, knows how to open a museum, please let me know. 
You know, I think that that would be a fantastic idea, but I believe you should probably expand it beyond just the vehicles. You should probably do, you should, you should have the museum include more than just vehicles because we have a rich culture. Like policing is its own subculture and it has a wonderful, rich history. Yeah, there's some dark spots that are not so great, some tarnish in that history, but there's some really good shit too. Like it's a rich history. I think that if, if like it would go a long way towards humanizing the badge, if people saw that like this isn't just a career for us a lot of the time, it is it's a culture, it's a part of who we become. And it's not our your job's not your identity. It's not, but it is a it is a part of who we are. It gets into our blood. That's why, quote unquote, we're all so similar. It's because we're all part of this same subculture. Give your balls a tug, you Ted fucker. I like police cars. Okay. All right. So police cars, yeah. I know that's your favorite car, I like turtles. <laughs> God. Anyway, sorry for that tangent, but yeah, no, I think but- a museum with a police museum would be pretty awesome. It would be, and I'm not totally against it, but don't tell me how to run my police car museum, okay? Okay. Well, Dallas, <laughs> the Dallas Police Department, if you ever go, if you ever can manage to get past that EPO and get to Texas, the Dallas Police Department, the Jack Evans headquarters, has a little museum set up, and they have like a 1920s cruiser, and they have a helicopter, an old police helicopter suspended from the ceiling, That's and cool. all kinds of all kinds of shit in the foyer. Oh, yeah. This is okay. I don't glad, fucking know. I'm You're glad you said that. You, you know, you know, I'm from Texas, right? Yes. All right. So, what do you guys call, or in Colorado, what did y'all call it when y'all did jury selection? But like you had to go, like, your. your oh, it's that, fancy, it's that fancy it's French ass word, word, right? That French ass word, uh, voyeur yeah. or whatever. <laughs> no, that's when you like to look at people doing it. That's what oh yeah, it. that's it's okay. So most places in the on the planet, like all places on the planet, call it uh, Valdier, right? You, I wish we could get Saul on because I know he he'd know this. Yeah. But anyway, I'm probably fucking it up. But in he's Texas, fucking. I can I can hear him laughing at me right now. He knows I said it wrong. Yeah. So in Texas, it is called Vordire. That's it. Yeah, Floyd, that's what we call it. Y'all called it Vordire in Colorado? We all sure did. Hell yeah. So long story short, like I've I've heard of judges holding attorneys from other states in contempt for calling it the calling it the French pronunciation. It's like they will they get freaked out when you call it something other than really? Vordire. So yeah, Foyer and Foyer. Yeah, that's that's Voyeur. Voyeur. Well, I think we we say that the same here too. So we're, we're way off track here, but of course. So you get through the academy, you pass mm-hmm. the academy, then what? So then I get a job as a security guard <laughs> right out of the bat um, because I need something to pay the bills because I've been living off of my cash out retirement from the bank I worked at, and that's run out. Uh, and of course, my wife's income, but like, Gay! okay. So um, <laughs> I work security too, so it's okay. I right, can make yeah, that so, joke. Yeah, okay. It was, I mean, it was, it was the, the training class that I got. I was in to like get my level one security guard license. The the guy in the class next to me 
reeked of pot the whole time. <laughs> I was like, really, dude? Like, how in the fuck is this happening? Like, anyway. Um, so while I was working security, I, I applied at every fucking police department that I could. I had I had rid out ridden out with um you, you guys, what do y'all call that where you're from? Ride outs, ride alongs. Ride along, yeah. Okay, so we, we call them all those things here, but I've always heard it referred to as a ride out. I've I rode out with uh Dallas PD, I rode out with a very small bullshit little agency between Dallas and Fort Worth. And because I knew a guy that worked there through my buddy who was a cop. And I rode out with my buddy where he worked while I was in the process of applying with all these agencies. And like I was like I was applying for some like podunk ass agencies in retrospect. And they were turning me away. <laughs> so I was like getting rejection letters. Why do you think you were getting rejected if you if you have any idea? Well, maybe because I had to attach an eight page supplement for my job history <laughs> that to the back be. of the personal history statement. Cause like, you know, that made me look like I was a flake and inconsistent. Um, I'm sure that had something to do with it. Loser. Um, You're a loser. Are you feeling sorry for yourself? Well, you should be cause you are dirt. You make me yeah, sick. You big baby. The all American dad from Texas right there. I, I wake up hearing that. I don't know. What did you get my inner monologue? You know, I, I I have to say though, and and I I am basically I don't say guilty because we did what we had to do to get by, right? Right. I worked a shit fuck load of jobs too, man. And whenever I right. fill out a personal history statement, it's out of control. Yeah, it is out of control. But I think there's two lessons there. Obviously. The st- we know where the story is going to end, and we will finish the story. Uh, you became a cop. You persevered. You became a cop. Mm-hmm. So part one of that story is be fucking persistent. Part two of that story, and sometimes we don't think about it at the time, and this is – I know there's some younger people that listen to the podcast, which you fucking shouldn't. But right. since you're listening to it, there is something to be said about being consistent with jobs. I feel mm-hmm. like that's a bigger deal for our generation I think now everybody jumps jobs everywhere and nobody cares. Right. But I just think about that too. Like I get a shitty job's a shitty job and you want to get better, mm-hmm. but there people will look at that, right? Like mm-hmm. this guy just goes job to job to job, you know, and we might right. think of it as being better for ourselves, which is probably the case, but employers. And I can tell you as a previous employer, when I was hiring people was holy shit, this guy's worked in eight places in six months. Yeah, probably a him thing, not the employer thing. Right. Yeah. Usually it's not. And then like you, they want to know why you left your age, your your locate, your whatever, right? And if you went from a job that was paying because they want to know where you worked, when you worked, what you made, and why you left, right? So if you're going from a job that pays less to a job that pays more, that's easy. You can explain that away because everybody wants that money, right? Everybody's going after that cheddar. So, what was that? Fuck bitches make money? Yeah, fuck bitches get money, yeah. Okay. So that one's easy to explain, right? But if you go from a job that paid more to a job that paid less, that's a little harder to, to explain, um, especially if it's in the same geographical region. Bro, I mean, like, I, I bagged groceries in my early 20s in the same city where I now am a police sergeant. 
<laughs> wow. So, hey, yeah, but it, you know what? You got to start somewhere too. Absolutely, and and that's that's a big takeaway is that you know if if you if you find your find your calling right, you find what you're passionate about, then you just have to 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 focus on that, not worry about the mistakes you've made in the past or as your dad would say the decisions you've made in the past that didn't turn out so well um that know. that episode's a lot fresher in your mind than all of ours but yeah oh yeah uh, dude your dad i loved that episode with your dad like you gotta you gotta listen to the one he was on uh like two three months ago it was pretty good too i, I will go back and, and look for it um Cool guy. Cool. Absolute cool. I, my dad wasn't a cop. He was in the military before he took the factory job. And he took that factory job because that's where my mother's dad worked. My grandfather worked. And so he got him a job there when he married my mom. And that was kind of how that all happened. You know, it's not what he like chose. It's not what he wanted. But yeah, he was in the military. He always wanted to be a state trooper, but never pursued that. And um Anyway, uh, side note, that's just a little, little uh, I digress. So, Well, because you mentioned earlier that you want to be a cop when you were little. I suppose that might have been where it came from. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know why. I, I want, That was just always my favorite. Cops and Robbers was always my favorite game to play when I was a little kid, and I never wanted to play the robber. I always wanted to play the cop. And I don't know why, but I've always, I've always wanted to, I guess I have a savior complex because that explains a lot of my relationships prior to my wife so I, I always wanted to, to help people who were in need and I know like I could have also been a social worker but that doesn't really fit I mean you could I couldn't see myself as an effective social worker I, I couldn't work for CPS let's put it that way right I couldn't go into a house where like bad shit is happening to kids and not take legal action does that make sense no, that, yeah, that makes sense. Like social work would not be a fitting career for me. Law enforcement is like I can do the same shit. I can go into situations and treat everybody with dignity and respect up to the point where they will no longer allow me to. But like I'm not that if I have to go hands on with somebody, I'm going to go hands on with them. Right. And as a social worker, you really can't do that. It's more touchy feely. So. Obviously, you get hired by a department. Was have you done all your time in the same department? I have, and so this, I was. That department wasn't even on my radar. Um, but one of the one of the instructors at my academy was a police administrator in a neighboring agency, and I wanted to talk to him. I, I, I called him and I was like, "Hey, can we get a cup of coffee? I want to talk to you." And he thought that I was going to ask him for a job. And he uh, he cut me off. I'm like, I just I, I want to clarify. I'm not trying to ask you for a job. I just wanted to get your take on where you think I should apply. And he's like, well, you need to apply at this other agency where I and he said, I know the chief there. I, I know the people there. You should apply there. And so I applied there and I tested uh, their PT test and their written test. It was a funny thing about law enforcement. There's like 80 people for two spots. Uh, at the written test well not anymore when i when i went and that was in 2013 yeah it was 2013 80 people in this little town and um 
half of them didn't pass the written test. We went, the 20 of us that did went and did the PT test and it almost killed me. Right. I was already like almost, a, I was almost a year out of the Academy at this point and, and I had not been keeping up with my PT, but it, we did the dumb. The last thing we had to do was the dummy drag. And I got to the dummy drag and I was dragging the dummy with like it on my chest and my arms across it. And I was walking backwards and I tripped and fell and it landed on top of me. And so I started like, like using my, one of the defensive shrimping, you know, that defensive tactic technique. I do know that one. Okay. So I grabbed the dummy around its chest and started shrimping (laughs) to drag it across the finish line. And the chief and the and the and the guy who's the the administrative started administering the test was like standing there watching me, and they were like, I could tell on their face that they like before I blacked right before I blacked out, I could tell that they were like, wow, this guy is determined. <laughs> and so, um, I laid out in the back pad in the back like a, a piece of patch of concrete and tried to catch my breath for like entirely too long. They thought they were going to have to call EMS. And this is this story is definitely going to help me if anybody that works for my agency is listening. Um, but anyway, so the PT test nearly killed me, but I think I impressed them enough that they got their attention and um, from my determination. And so I went through all the other hoops that I had to go through, and the the chief called me in after the review board and offered me a conditional job. And so I uh, finished the. The oral, those after the oral boards, I had to do the psyche valve and the polygraph and the medical physical. And they, uh, they hired me and I'd been there that started April of 2014. And I've been there ever since. Is it everything you dreamed and imagined? It had, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It has, it, it really is. Like you ask in the early, early episodes and every now and then in the newer ones, you ask people if the job is dead. And where I am, it is not dead. Um, in the surrounding agencies, I, I would say it's it's struggling for sure, especially neighboring agencies to the north of where I am. But um, we still get to chase cars. We still get to put people in jail for minor misdemeanor offenses. Uh, it, we encourage officers to do proactive policing, like to get into shit and find things. And it's like, we had a rookie find a stolen gun on a traffic stop and the chief, like he was talking to, you know, he was talking about it to the, his command staff coming, like, you know, staying late working on the paperwork and the chief of police came in and slapped him on the back and told him that's a good pop. That's, that's really good police work. Kid. And he's, he was the first guy I ever trained in field training. He's brand new, like been, been here like a, maybe a year. And, you know, the chief of police still comes out and, like, he's a cop's cop. Like, he is absolutely a, sh- a salty-ass street cop that, f- like, fumbled his way to promotion somehow. Like, he, you can, you can listen to, he, watch him listen to the radio, and he's just foaming at the mouth to get out <laughs> and do cop work. But, he, you know, he has to sit behind his desk because, you know, he's the, the chief. Well... I mean, he doesn't have to, but yeah, I know what he you're he does still stop cars occasionally, and he he he. When I was new, he rode out with me. Like he came out and rode shotgun, and he showed me some little tricks and tips that I did not get in field training about like looking for car burglars at night. 
and that's that stuck with me. Like I, I, I like I said, he's he's a cop's cop, right? He's. I I was going to ask about this, and and maybe you can kind of clue us into Texas culture. I I feel bad because the last few guys that have been on from Texas, I'm like asking them about things that don't really relate to them so much. Mm-hmm. You know, like the last guy I asked about Uvalde and stuff, but mm-hmm. I wanted to ask about the smaller police agencies in Texas. It, it was my perception. And I'm not talking about your department, like a 20 man department. That's like a pretty decent sized department, in a lot of rural areas, mm-hmm. but you know, you, I, I feel like I read a lot about these <laughs> one horse towns, right? Yeah. Funny because it's Texas. Uh, the one horse towns and they have, you know, the, you know, the police chief and maybe a couple cops or maybe just the police chief. Is yeah. there, is there something you can point to or, or maybe you have some, I don't know, can, can explain the history to us? You know, why don't these, why don't the, the sheriff's departments take care of these small little towns? Why do all these towns have their little agencies? Well, um, that's that's above my pay grade to be completely honest with you, but I think it's I think it's possible that some of these smaller towns, like for example, one of our neighboring municipalities, they're not a township. They're they're just they're they're not a, a city per se. They're they're a community, but they don't have the charter that a, a city like the where where I work is uh they have a marshal they have a city marshal and he is the only law enforcement guy in the city and the county does take care of them if he's not in the office does that make sense yeah that makes sense so like we we have like the county we have like for example where i work we have our city limits and then we have little peninsulas of jurisdiction that go in and out throughout the uh the area so it's not like it's a, a, a cube or a sorry not like a square on the map that is our city there's tendrils that go along all over the place and sometimes the the county bleeds in and is surrounded by our city limits and so some of these little towns have a a small city marshal or a a small police department and i don't know if it's just the way that the, the city government structured, but they, uh, they, they just want to be able to have, like, we have this. And I think that might be like a feather in the cap, just something, a selling point for their little town. Like they have a police department per se. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. And I almost, I would almost be curious and this is just totally like out of my ass. So if we have a historian, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. But I, I would be curious if it's kind of harkens back to the, uh, you know, the frontier days where every, you know, little town had their marshal and stuff. Mm-hmm. I know I in Colorado, I know in Colorado, there were that I can think of two agencies some agencies refer to their jail folks as marshals, depending on what they did. But right. as far as like doing police action stuff, I could think of two agencies that did not have police departments, but they had the marshal. I know one of them, oh God, maybe this was in New Mexico, but there was an agency somewhere along the border mm-hmm. of New Mexico where they had the marshal. But anytime you drove through, he was on a traffic stop because there was a highway they went through. 
Right. And I was like, well, is this a revenue thing kind of yeah. thing? I don't know, but it is interesting. And I would be curious if that's why. And and I guess that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about a little bit too, with working in a smaller agency and being around these smaller agencies. In your opinion, in your humble opinion, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I think a lot of guys that came up the same way I did, I don't want to say look down on the smaller cities. And, and I say... I want to be careful how I say this because I, I think there's guys in smaller towns that are a hundred times better cops than big city cops because big city cops don't know any better and they just think they're better than everybody. Right. But I don't want to also say that about big city guys not being humble. It's not fair. Right. Mm-hmm. But if we're just dealing with perceptions and, and, sh- and stereotypes, if we're just dealing with that, I'm just kind of curious what my concern would be is I I would be kind of worried about the people in the smaller agencies not having appropriate backup and not having appropriate training. And so that that's a very good point. And that's where my mind went exactly when you were talking about the smaller agencies is that um, the smaller agencies where I work, we try to do a very good job of working with them and including them in some of the training events that we put on. Um, because for one, we, we share a, muni- a regional dispatch currently. And so there's a neighboring city where the, the former chief works um, or worked, I should say. Um, he, uh, that, that city, they have one, one, maybe two guys on duty overnight. And it's the, their town is nowhere near as big as ours. It's nowhere near as busy as ours but it has a main thoroughfare that runs through it east to west and they get a lot of traffic between our city and another major city none i want major cities a, a, a pretty generous word another larger community so um we back them up on calls all the time we go out of our jurisdiction to back them up and in turn they will show up on anything that happens in our city unsolicited so we pull a traffic stop on that side of town. They're going to show up <laughs> because they have nothing better to do most of the time. And it's problematic because, you know, some of their guys are super squared away and they're, they're you know, if they may be former military or maybe they came from a larger agency and wanted something a little slower paced, but like some of their guys are, you know, not so squared away. Um, and it, it, it's difficult to say, hey, it's okay, we're good, you can clear, because you know they just want to help. I, I had one stop one time where uh, I was doing a, a consensual encounter with a known offender in our city, and I'm sitting there talking to the guy, asking him just questions on the, you know, it's like two o'clock in the morning in, on a side road. So we're behind my cruiser talking and this guy, the guy from this neighboring agency shows up and just starts interjecting into my conversation that I'm having. He's like, don't worry, we're not going to violate your rights. And I look over at this guy and I'm like, uh, like, why are you here? <laughs> like just thinking to myself, like, I'm not like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just having a conversation with this guy. I'm not like trying to do any kind of illegal searches or anything. 
but I know this guy is always good for meth. And I, he's out at two o'clock in the morning and he's got a backpack on. And I'm just trying to talk to him to see where it goes. And um, this guy's getting in the way <laughs> right, of, the, of, of my encounter. And like after that, like anytime he specifically was working and he would check in route to cover me, I'd disregard him because I just didn't, I didn't need cover. First of all, it's not like, you know, this is not like a, a high risk situation. I know this guy and I know that there's no such thing as a routine stop for anything, but I, I made my risk assessment and determined that I can handle this conversation with me and my body camera on. And there, like I said, there are some smaller agencies that, that they will piggyback on larger agencies trainings. Um, and I don't know where we're going with that. Does that, did that in any way answer your question or did I just go off on a tangent? No, you went off on a tangent, but I see where you're going with that. Yeah. It, let me, let me, let me say this. I was on a live stream recently, by the way, free plug, go to thoughts of police officer, sorry, thoughts of patrol officer, YouTube channel. I'm on Ben's channel on Thursdays generally. And we do live stream and we, we were talking about this OIS in Texas and I think it was Southern Texas. Maybe you're familiar with the case, but it was like a new cop, you know, in his early twenties was on the road six months, went to a call about a fight, was trying to detain this guy. Guy didn't want to be detained. Guy was walking away, tries to tase the guy. It doesn't work. And then he ends up shooting the dude and he sat in jail for like a year and a half until court. And then he got found not guilty, which the cop, the cop, which in my humble opinion, it was, it was pretty rough shoot. I, I wouldn't have shot that guy, but mm. it was, it was basically like watching it. The problem watching that was like, it's a, a unguided cop all by himself, you know, right. Uh, imagine us flakes at 22, 23 years old. As oh cops. Jesus. Right. Yeah, That's, no. Not to say this guy's a flake. I don't know the guy personally, so that's right. that's not fair. But but a lot of us, we know how we would have been as cops as a young guy. Maybe yeah. wouldn't have made the, the best decision. So right. what I was getting at in general with that is, I guess, your thoughts on these smaller departments where, you know, it's like a one-man department and there's no backup and you're not really learning anything mm-hmm. kind of thing. And you don't have su- good supervision. I, I mean, I would tend to agree that that can be problematic. Uh, I, I don't know that we have that issue here. Like I said, that. Well, and we I, I'm not smaller... talking about your agency. I'm just saying it kind of. Right. And if you've general, observed things like that in Texas, I guess. Um, I can't say that I have, because like I said, even we were our inner. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Interagency operations is really good where I'm at. Like we have a bigger agency to the south of us we have a bigger agency to the north of us we have a tiny little agency to the west of us and we have a um a medium-sized agency a little smaller than us to the east of us if if we're on a stop out way way in those areas we can count on having backup from another agency even if one of our officers aren't aren't there to to back us up and Conversely, if they need us, like we get, we like we really do have excellent training in our in our department. There's some areas that we some donut holes that need to be filled in it, but just in general, we we do train constantly. 
um, in person and doing the police one stuff too. But that's that's more of like box checking class class work. Uh, yeah, I can completely see what your problem is. I think that the the issue though with these smaller agencies where there's one guy that's brand new on nights working in by himself and you know would county be great county can barely back it themselves up um so you have like like i don't know exactly how many they run but in in the county i work in there's like it's a fairly large county geographically but there's like four people working that at night and so their backup is always like 20 miles away so that's why we go back them up on shit all the time because they're close to us and it's quicker for us to get there than it would be for one of their officers. Um, so I think that having the smaller agencies like we do in Texas has its advantages and its disadvantages. I think that a more scrutiny needs to be paid towards the, the, the training of officers, especially new officers in those smaller agencies than probably is. Well, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to set you up for failure here because I actually disagreed with Ben with this. I was kind of giving you um, his point, which I, I get what he's saying, but my my thought was kind of the – I don't even remember if we really got into this too much on that live stream, but I like the idea of like the local control on a police department mm-hmm. where the city determines what kind of policing they have, right? Okay. And so, you know, if the idea, you know, was if you bring in the troopers to police an agency, well, you're not going to have guys generally that are from that area. You're going to have a trooper right. that wanted to work somewhere else. And now he's he's stuck in this area where right. you may get people that are actually invested in this small community. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, and again, nothing's ever routine, but to be fair, you kind of have to look at the calls for service too. not to say something tremendously horrible won't happen, but. Right. In a small town with a thousand people, they're not going to get the calls for service like Dallas does or Houston does or wherever. It's just, it's probably not going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. I think there are some dangers of being a young guy with that much, I don't even want to say responsibility, that much authority. I think that could be of great concern. And I think that's something that we can all kind of think about in it. And I'm saying this just for like the young guys to kind of hear and listen to. Like I'm not I'm just being self-aware, I think, is a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I think on one hand, I, I agree with you. Like on one hand, pros and cons, but let's just make sure we're getting them trained up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I could I could see from an outsider's perspective, well, why don't we just have, you know, the state take over, which the but then that's basically like giving the federal government control, right? Right. I mean, so. we do in Texas. We have a state licensing agency called TCOL, and they mandate training. Like, like they tell they tell the academies what they have to cover. They tell the police departments what has to be covered during the field training, and they they cover. They require like how many hours of in service training per cycle is required for each officer, and so there is a set of like regulating. There's a regulating body for law enforcement in Texas, which I think is great. But I think that the problem with these smaller agencies is, goes back to what I said earlier is that you're either going to get people who get passed up by larger agencies for whatever reason, or you're going to get people who are done with their first retirement. Like they've done 20 in a large agency and now they're looking to, to sleep through 
their next five to 10 and to take on a, a retirement gig. So it's, it's problematic in that sense because you, and I'm not, and that's, there's an exception to every rule, of course. So I'm not shitting on these other eight, these smaller agencies that say can't afford to send people to a proper academy. They don't have the budget for it. They don't have the tax base to afford that. But at the same time, it's, it's, maybe it would be better off if those funds they did have went towards the county or towards an intramural uh, agreement with a, a larger agency nearby so that like there was some sort of coverage for those communities that have calls for service that can go beyond, you know, a deputy that's, you know, on the other side of the county. I, I don't want to keep going on and on about this, but just a couple of really great points. And we'll get back to you. Because you're what's important here. Oh, you, <laughs> oh. You, you you had me at your episode one, so I don't know why you're trying to butter me up. Oof. But I, I want to add a third person to that potential guy or gal that could want to be a cop in a small town. Mm-hmm. It's just their community, and they want to be part of their community, or they don't want to be in a big city. Now, because yeah. because I was an argument that was presented well people want to make money. So they're going to go to these bigger agencies, which I think a lot of people do, but I can say me with a benefit of hindsight. Yeah. I might get back into policing, but it will never be a big agency. Never. Right. I will never do that again because I saw what it's like. And I think to an extent, yeah, there are better agencies than the one I came from. But I think once you get into the politics of a big city, it's all going to have those problems. It's just, how much of it are you dealing with? You know, that's it's funny. There's it's funny you say that. This is a side note, you can keep it in it. There is a smaller agency that is embedded within Dallas, the city limits of Dallas. There's a town called Cockrell Hill. And they are a small town with their own police department, but they are so literally surrounded by the city of Dallas. So they have all the problems of Dallas, a big city like Dallas, and all the problems of a small town. <laughs> like they've got a limited tax base, they've got limited budgets. They can only do so much training, but it, it's it's just kind of a a point of curiosity. I've known a couple of people who have worked there, and that's what they've always said: is it's it's the it's the worst of both worlds <laughs> because you're getting. All of the like the the bad actors from the doubt from Dallas around like like where I work, there's it's a small like I said it's a smaller town it's like less than twenty thousand people officially, and so you, the people you have are either under desperate circumstances due to addiction, or they're coming in from Dallas to do bad things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and well, I'm not I'm not trying I'm not trying to like you know, give a pass, but like you, you, we all know that like meth addicts go around stealing shit to feed their addiction. So that's who we get that are locals. But then we do get people from Dallas coming down because they think that it's a soft target. Well, and and real quick, I wanted to talk about the differences of big agency and little agencies. I think it would be ignorant of me to neglect that small agencies are going to have their problems too, right? We're just talking about that lack of a training budget, lack of resources, I guess you have to make your decision. Now, I think part of that too is is working in a big city or a smaller agency, 
there might just be guys that can fucking handle more than I can and say, no, I can just let this roll off their back. Right. God bless you guys. Right. You have a bigger talent pool to pull from. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing to think about, but um, after the, the, the shootings that occurred in downtown Dallas at the protest uh, that your, your guy talked about from the officer next door um, after that happened, Dallas PD put out a call for assistance for, to every neighboring agency to get cops to come in and um, work with, because they were doing two man units. They needed extra people so that some of their officers could attend the funerals for their former classmates. Right. And we, we responded and I wrote out with a Dallas PD officer working the South central district and uh, Dallas runs deep. Like they will have eight cars respond to a call, a call that in my city we would handle on our own. And it's just, you have a, like I said, you have a much bigger talent pool when you have an agency with 3000 officers um, sworn God only knows how many on duty at any given moment than you do with an agency that's my size where fully staffed, we have five people on duty at any given moment. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you about working for a big city. Just because you have, and I'm not shitting on Dallas PD, so you guys don't fucking all re at me. But I know you guys hate your coworkers too, so fuck off. But uh, Well, I mean, like we don't love our coworkers in smaller agencies all either but but the, but that's the point i'm trying to make it's just because let's use new york city as an example mm-hmm. Thirty thousand cops right there's a lot of talent for sure but there's a lot of we need yeah. bodies right yeah, i yeah. would argue you have more of the we need bodies at the bigger agencies right in i, 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 I think it that. exists in all the, i think a lot of these problems within law enforcement are universal Right. But just in different ways. You know, and that's I wanna I wanna stroke my chief's ego just in case he finds this. That's one thing that I know that, that we had we have his commitment on is that he's yes, we need bodies, just like every other agency on the planet right now. We need cops. But he absolutely refuses to hire people. <laughs> he absolutely refuses to hire people that are going to be a slug. He he looks at them and he says they they checked all the boxes and they 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 meet the minimum qualifications, but I don't think this guy is going to like do the job the way it needs to be done. He will hire them, even if it means we have to run minimum staff for another six months. I would argue that's better. I agree. I completely yeah. agree. Yes. Do I, does that mean I get to take the day off to go to my kid's dance recital? No, it doesn't. But it, it does mean that I have less of a worry about being killed when I go to work because I'm going to have quality people around me, whether I like them or not, irrelevant, you know, person like, and this goes back to the old saying that you can, I don't know if you guys heard this where you're from, but down here we say that, you can trust a cop with your money or your life, but not your gear or your wife. Yep, that's universal. That's universal. Okay, good. Just making sure. Can we stop stealing shit from each other, please? Well, I think that, like it just goes back to our subculture. I mean, it's it's a universal thing in our culture is that our like, subculture like, is stealing. No, our subculture <laughs> is the same. 
regardless of where we work, right? There are going to be cops that will absolutely bang your wife if your wife is inclined to that sort of thing, but they will absolutely not let you take a bullet if they can do anything to prevent it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear you. I <sighs> problem with big agencies is they will hire people who don't have that kind of dedication to their their to each other, uh, small agencies say. will do that too, man. I think it really yeah, they, yeah, they will. I just, they, they will. I, but I I don't know, man. I I gotta go on my rant real quick here about like I think a lot of these problems with like fucking each other mm-hmm. is um are you talking about literally or figuratively? Like literally, literally, fucking literally, each other literally, fucking literally, each literally, other, literally, like the fucking. way you fucked me over in Colorado. One time, buddy. <laughs> I, I just, I, police kind of think that all this stuff is universal to them. It, everybody's fucking everybody, man. I don't okay. think that's just universal to policing in general. Oh, absolutely not. You're talking about literal fucking. Yeah, I can. I literal can fucking. To that. It, yeah, like, that that is everywhere. I mean, I'm sure in your financial institution, I was just your buddies go, would yes. bang your wife. I mean, well, I mean, no, that uh, because mostly I work with women. Like in the finance industry, it's it's, but there was so much like cheating on their spouses with coworkers and like people hooking up, like like with coworkers. It was really kind of discouraging, and. Like when I got into law enforcement, that was nothing new to me. Like first thing, like when I started working there, I found out that one guy from another city was banging one of our dispatchers. And then later on, some other dude that our agency started banging her. And it was just like, everybody was like, oh man, I was like, you can't get away from that in this job. And I'm like, dude, that's everywhere. But it's absolutely, I have a friend who's a teacher and it's the same situation over there. Like they, like, People are constant. Human beings, just in general, are whores. Like, yes, blanket, they blanket are. statement. They will, they will, they will do whatever they can do to get their rocks off. Literally and figuratively, yes, yeah, yes. As someone once so eloquently put it on the podcast, everybody's horny and just trying to fuck each other. Yeah, pretty much. I, I concur with that. It's disappointing. Because you would like to think better of of humanity, but no, we're all just we're just animals looking to spread our genetic material. I've talked about that in the podcast, but we are not plowing old ground. Fuck, man! Speaking of plowing old ground, oh yeah, no, that's you got a story? No, no, I've never plowed old ground. It's just. Oh. You know, like we're talking about plowing ground, and then you brought up plowing old ground. Yeah, well, that's that's a fancy term the lawyers use. <laughs> you fucking snakes! <laughs> fucking anyway. snakes. So, all right, we will stop talking about small departments. I okay. I just want to throw out there for everybody listening: there's good and bad with all of it. So, just because I'm shitting on something doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. So I'm just want to throw that out. Just my personal opinion, something to think about. I think my big thing, and I'm not trying to like fucking be self-important because I know I'm a loser, but I think it's my big thing right now is it's just important for people to just fucking hear different ideas. Mm-hmm. 
because I've been guilty of it. I know I've been guilty about being closed minded to shit. It's okay to fucking think something's wrong. Like, I'm not saying I think we're way too tolerant of some pretty terrible things sometimes. Mm. It's not what I'm talking about. Let's, let's, so don't like take that over the edge either, but it's okay to fucking hear different ideas. If you work right. at a great fucking department, fucking great. If it's small, if it's big, I, I know a lot of people would probably argue. I work at a small department. Yeah, maybe we don't have the nice big fancy things as a big city department. Maybe we don't have as high of a pay, but fuck, do I love my job? Right. I would argue most people in big departments, they're on a, a special assignment mm-hmm. or something. Most patrol officers in a big department are fucking miserable. I'd put money on that. I Where would not just... I, most most times yeah. when I smoke to a small city guy, happy. Yeah, you're happy. You've been oh, on yeah. for eight years. You're fucking happy, dude. Is my is my job great every single day? Do I like jump out of bed excited to go to work? No, <laughs> like I'd much rather stay in bed than go to work. But I enjoy my job. I for the most part, I enjoy the people I work with, and I really like the community that I serve. Uh, it's 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 like the old saying goes, man. If you if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Did you and say stay in bed? Yeah. Well, you know, when you wake up, there's the option of getting up or yeah, well, you know. Oh, okay, never mind. Dude, I'm my life is hot up. as fuck. So, which is it's, weird it's, because you're ugly. I, know, I feel like I've right? been unreasonably rude to you today. It's because I think you're like a spitting image of of me. So I'm just trying to treat you like I would treat me. Really. Dude, the only pictures you've seen of me or should have seen of me was when I was actually at my best. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> Just yeah. be a dick. No, if, yeah. if you were a spitting image of me, you wouldn't. You could not fit in a uniform. You're fine. You're doing great. I believe Bro, it. Bro, like, okay, so funny story about that. <laughs> I just got promoted to sergeant, and I'm going back to patrol from investigations. And I had to get fitted for new uniforms. Like I, they had to contract out with Omar the tent maker to get my vest. Holy shit! So, did you just make an Omar reference? Yeah, my oh, dad used to make that. No, yeah. that's what, I don't know where my dad got it from, but he used to say this shit yeah. all the time. My my new vest came in, and my chief cracked the joke that man they had to kill a lot of Kevlar to make that. This is gonna make us fat. Yeah, he says as he drinks another swig of tequila. I'm uh, I'm not drinking tonight. Are you disappointed in that? Uh, a little bit, because I mean the the podcasts where you are toasted are usually the more entertaining. But that's okay. I'm probably drinking enough for the both of us. Good for you. I I drink a lot over Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, I can understand. Yeah. So uh, my liver needs a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. You will hear a uh, podcast I recorded over Thanksgiving weekend with my brothers right before this. So that'll. That'll be interesting to say the least. Nice. Well, let's fucking do this. Before I forget, we need to do the officer of the podcast. Hell yeah. And I'm going to have my assistant, um, Connie Lingus. Oh, wait. No, I can't have my assistant do it because there's names in it. I'm going to have to do it. So the this is the officer of the podcast. As you guys know, Ghost Patch has donated patches that i can send out to the deserving officers so if you want to name nominate a buddy co-worker email me poorly made police memes at gmail.com 
First of all, I'd like to say I'm a big fan of the podcast. It's a great listen on the long drive home from work. I would love to nominate my sergeant for officer of the podcast. I work for a sheriff's office in blankety blank in a medium-sized area with lots of issues of the larger cities around it. Sergeant Blankety is the type of deputy to stack up his fifth call to come back up one of his deputies and always has their backs. He was the deputy in charge of the FTO program and has trained a vast majority of us young officers to make up road patrol. He consistently picks up the shifts in order to prevent some of the constant forces we have to do with low manpower. He's there to answer our dumb rookie questions and does not bitch too much about it. Sergeant Blankety definitely deserves any recognition and never asked for it. Well, that's my nomination. Keep on making great poorly made podcasts. Hey, they might want to be a guest. I don't think I've done Michigan. I'm going to email them back, even though they are a Red Wings fan, which is wrong. Are you a Dallas Stars fan by any chance? You know, I'm, I'm not a big sports fr- fan. In you don't like sports ball, huh? Well, hockey's not really sports ball. It's sports ball. It's all sports ball. Yeah, sports ball is is it's kind of the thing I say at work when people ask me about something. I'm like, hey, I don't like sports ball. I like going to games. I, I I've gone to a few stars game. I love watching them in person, but I just can't watch sports on TV for some reason. I can't. Just, That's okay. It just I, doesn't hold my interest. The only reason I brought that up is when I was in high school. This one time at band camp, <laughs> I. Uh, there, we had some kids from Dallas come up, and one of them was wearing a Mike Madonna jersey, and it almost came to blows at band camp because nice. fuck them Dallas Stars. <laughs> I remember Mike Madonna. I remember when we got the Dallas Stars from Minnesota, and it was a big deal. And Stole uh, them we, from the people of Minnesota, by the way. You know, fuck Minnesota. <laughs> what did they ever do to you? I, you know... I've been to Minnesota once, and honestly, it, it, it's a pretty nice place. I, I didn't mind it. But if, if they're bitching that we stole the, the what would they call them, the North Stars up there? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they should have, like, worked harder and been better fans, I guess, and the team might not have left. But I, I don't – I digress. Um, yeah, I, I remember when the Dallas Stars came – and they were playing in Reunion Arena, where the Dallas Mavericks played. Uh, we went to a few games, and it was it was fun. Hockey's hockey's a good sport. It is a great sport. All right, that's all. That's all I have to say about that. I don't. I don't. Well, real quick, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't get to before I get to my dumb questions? No, man. This is your show. I'm just here for the ride. No, this is your show, and I'm just here for the ride. Okay. Um, I don't know, man. Um, no pressure. Uh, did we cover like? Did we thoroughly cover how much of uh, did, like? I worked my first job ever was Jack in the Box. I worked there for literally two weeks, but just long enough to get a paycheck. <laughs> like, I mean, like I'm a, I, I was a super flake when I was young. Like I've had many jobs where I worked one day. What What was the worst job you think you ever had? Oh shit, man. Let me see. There was a, a, a temp job that was the one day job where uh, we were supposed to like, this is back like early, early 2000s. Um, we would, we worked as a courier for a medical records company 
and we were supposed to use our personally owned vehicles to drive to hospitals to pick up medical records to bring them back to this warehouse where the x-rays and shit were then like cataloged and stored and it paid like minimum wage (laughs) so my first yeah (laughs) my first and only like i didn't have reliable transportation like this this kind of feeds into like i don't i can't tell you how many people i've stopped that didn't have that had expired registration that I would cut breaks to because I remember not having expired, not having valid registration in my car. And it's like, yeah, sometimes those people are criminals and you should investigate further. Sometimes they are just flakes that like are sh- trying the best they can to make ends meet. And anyway, yeah, that's probably the worst one was. And, and then at the end of the day, my training day, the guy that I was training with, <laughs> It got real creepy. He was sitting in the parking lot giving me a speech about like demons and God. And I was like, yeah, bro, this is, I was, I was an atheist at the time. And I was like, this is not a conversation that I want to be having with a coworker. So I, didn't, I just didn't go back. I never collected the pay for that day. Like until like you, there's this website, the Texas Comptroller's website where you can find where people owe you money and they turned it over to the Comptroller's office. I still had like a paycheck from that job sitting, <laughs> sitting out there. <laughs> I didn't collect until like 10 years later. Right before I worked mall security, I got hired as a telemarketer. I did that. Where? Uh, st- uh, maybe. Yes. I worked there too. <laughs> uh, I might have to cut that out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the place off of um, what was it? Is that so on the north end of town? Is that like, bro? I couldn't. Okay, I couldn't. I, I think I remember I'll it being say, more east. It was a big complex, and they had it, like it was like a strip mall. It was in a strip mall, was it not? I don't remember it being a strip mall. I remember okay. like it I did customer service place. for AT and T Wireless there. Mm, I don't know. If, I remember. I know. I know that place. Maybe it wasn't the same place, but I I got offered the job and I was supposed to start like I got offered the job on a, a Friday and they said come in on Monday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah fuck, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I do not want to do this. And I called the mall and I was like, hey, I put an app in like three weeks ago. You know, are you guys still hiring? And the guy was like, "Uh, you know, we're still hiring, but what's your name? He said, I don't remember seeing your app. Will you just come fill out a new one? So apparently they lost it. Nice. So I filled out another one and they were so like they needed somebody. I got a job that weekend. And that ended up being like a 10-year career. Not 10 years. Really? Um, well, a good chunk of time. Yeah, almost 10 years, like. Eight years or so, I, I think I did that. So it was amazing that that job and that career started from not wanting to work at a, a call center. <sighs> that makes sense. I, I did telemarketing in in Texas briefly, also, but it was it was a lot of I think that a lot of the shit that I I did like that was flaky 
was partially due to my attachment to the uh, the current the person that I was currently married to at the time. Like I got the job, like my ex wife got the job doing telemarketing at a place called Silverleaf here in Texas, and it was straight up like it was timeshare telemarketing. It was bullshit, and so she got that job, and then I left where I was working and started. I was working for the airport, long story on that, but I started working with her there and she hated it. And like her negativity, like drug me down and we ended up leaving that job together. And then when we were in Colorado, I were working at that same call center. It was really a call center, not so much telemarketing, but a call center job. I started working there first and it was fine. I mean, it was customer service and it was okay. It was, I was a job I totally could have done for, you know, six to eight to maybe a year, month, uh, six to eight months to a year. But then she started working there and bitched about it constantly and how miserable she was and how the guy in the cube next to her kept staring at her. And it was like, it was just fucking the negativity <laughs> from her drugged me down a lot. And so she was the reason why I moved back and forth between Texas and, and Colorado so much is because she was from living in Colorado when we met and I was living in Texas and we would just go back and forth trying to find something stable and something permanent. And then I clued in that maybe it wasn't so much me as it was her. And that's where I, when I moved back to Texas, I, I, was, I told her, I'm going back to Texas. You can come with me or not. Um, and so she came with me and then she noped out just a few months after I started working at the finance bank, the bank that I was working at. And I actually was at that job for 10 years. So maybe some of my like early twenties flakiness was, uh, circumstantial. Yeah. But I think it makes you who you are too. It, oh, absolutely. The one thing I definitely wanted to say is guys like us, we didn't like, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be a cop and then I got away from it and was doing other weird shit. And then I finally woke up one day, but you can like live life, make some mistakes, go down some weird paths. And like our paths aren't like, you know, fucking a hooker under an right. overpass or, or you getting know, addicted to heroin or getting <laughs> addicted to heroin, which right. again, that's something you can persevere through too. But they're just like, we, I mean, we made these say what now? Uh, I was just going to say, like, you have to be a superhuman to persevere yeah. through, through some of that shit. So Yeah, so people I mean, do, though. But yeah. nothing, like, some things are harder to fix, for sure. But yeah. as it's been said on, on the podcast, is you can unfuck something. I some did want to talk about, do you think having all the life experience you had prior to starting law enforcement was a good thing or a bad thing when you started, honestly, later <sighs> than a lot of people at 35? Right. Um, I honestly think that it was a mixed bag, but I'm fairly certain that's the only reason the chief of police hired me was he knew that I had customer service experience. Like I knew how to talk to people in a way that was polite and respectful from all the jobs that I've had that were customer service based. At the same time, I remember when I was a rookie going on a PI call disturbance and we were telling, we talked to this guy out from underneath a trailer and we were telling him, stay on the ground, stay on the ground, stay on the ground. And he started standing up and I didn't, um, my fucking head was in the, like, I didn't know what to do. And the guy that I was working with who 
who's a salty motherfucking veteran, and I love the guy, he just snatched the guy by his collar and slammed his ass on the ground. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh shit. That's when I realized we can put our hands on people like <laughs> this job. You know, it's just not all words, right? I can I can actually like make somebody do something if I have to. And um so it, in the, in the respect that it took me a little while to realize that this was not a customer service job, it it may have been a little hindrance, but in the sense that I have had one complaint filed against me in my eight years because I know how to talk to people. Um, I think that it was an advantage. Does that make sense? No, that definitely makes sense. All right. We need to do my, uh, my ending dumb questions because we are on the verge of me losing my voice. It's okay. Might happen soon. What do you think the stupidest thing was in your entire career that you did? Let me rephrase that. I'm glad I'm wasting sentences and I can't talk. Was the dumbest thing? What was the dumbest thing you did as a rookie? Like I locked myself in the jail with (laughs) the jail cell with four inmates that we had arrested. I was delivering meals. Right. And one Sergeant always told me, you know, make them come get the meal from you. Don't go in and give it to them. And then another sergeant was like, yeah, just leave the door open. You can go hand it to them. It's okay. And so I, I walk into the jail cell and the door is open behind me. But like, I don't know if it was a breeze or what, the door closes behind me. And I'm in this jail cell with four dudes handing them their, their meals and then realize I'm locked in and I have to call on the radio to have somebody come let me out. <laughs> um, let me see what's the other dumbest thing that I've done. That would... oh, I shit my pants. <laughs> like, that's, that's, well, I that guess was... we'll just skip ahead. Yeah, sorry. I mean, like that was probably uh, this one might actually out me too. But like it was a standard. Like I, in my career, I, I was a patrol officer for like two and a half years ish. And then I moved to CID because I've always wanted to be a detective. That, that was like kind of my career trajectory. Um, when I wanted to be a cop, it was ultimately I want to be a detective, but I knew I had to do time in patrol first. So I went to CID and got, uh, there was a, you know, did that for almost three years and really enjoyed it. But then an opportunity came up to be what we called an OIC in patrol, which is uh, officer in charge. And it's basically like a corporal, but without the stripes or a different pay pay scale. Um, so I went back to patrol as an OIC. And this is after three years of being a detective. I'm like, just, it's, it's, I know that they've told the same story before. It's like, I was taking a piss, thought I had to fart. And then I just, I felt something solid. <laughs> pants i'm like whoa that's not right so i i strip the drawers off throw them in the trash like um i try to clean up as best i can and then hobble over to the locker room and, and get in the shower and like as as i'm hobbling to the locker room with my pants like holding my pants up i uh the one of my partners comes in and unbeknownst to me i, I should have known this is a guy with like he's got a very weak stomach he throws up after he eats like any like he, he throws up a lot on anything and so i'm i'm in the locker room taking a quick shower and uh changing uniforms and unbeknownst to me at that time he's throwing up in the sink from the smell 
perfect. And the sergeant comes in and it's like, what the fuck is that smell? And like it, the guy throwing it with the sink's like, oh, you know, so-and-so just shit his pants. <laughs> like, I like I, I run out of the locker room in my new, new uniform and I take the trash out and they're all like eyes watering, gagging from the stench. It was really fucking embarrassing. But uh, if, if yeah, <laughs> that was that was my shit the pants story, and that was not a not like uh, as a I guess the as a cop the best advice I would be like never trust a fart. That amused me. I'm glad. As a young man, what is something you wish you knew then that you know now, policing or otherwise? Um, I, I think we goes back to what we were talking about, that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. If I heard that growing up, I wouldn't have been, uh, I don't think that I would have been such a flake because I wouldn't have been waiting for riches that I just, I was, I'm a Gen Xer technically, but I'm on the cusp of millennial. So I, I think I still had some of that quote unquote millennial entitlement that, that the boomers all bitched about with millennials is we just expected things to go our way because we were told by our boomer parents that we could have anything we wanted, that, that like the world was our oyster. And I think that if, if, if I had realistic expectations set for me early on, I may not have been such a flake for so long. I mean, I, I don't think it's too bad because I did finally pull my head out of my ass in my, in my mid-20s. Like, at 25, I think I'd finally gotten a good head on my shoulders, even though it took me another 10 years to find my professional calling. Um, I still felt like I was a little more grounded than I was earlier in my life. Did that answer your question? It did. It satisfied all my needs. I aimed to please. What is the proudest moment of your career? The proudest moment was, and I worked crimes against children as a detective. So putting some certain people in jail was certainly um, a proud moment for me, um, especially when those cases didn't result in a trial because they knew they'd fucked up and they were just took a plea deal. Um, but like there was one incident, like we don't get a lot of like major shit in the city I work in, but we had a shooting like a genuine somebody got shot which was rare like maybe we get one of those maybe once every two years uh and a lady got shot in her thigh and like i responded and my partner backed me up and we got there like fucking hell on wheels we were running code and i Got there, I assessed this. It was like all training kicked in. It was like, it was one of those moments where the shit that I've been drilling myself on in my head and the shit that I was taught in our training, my Saba training kicked in. And I like, I assessed the situation. I realized my, my partner had my cover. He had hard cover over the situation and it was scanning through threat scans. And so I slapped a, a tourniquet on her leg and um, like, her left thigh was like twice the size of her right thigh because of the blood pooling inside of her, her it shattered her femur, the bullet did. And so I, I ratcheted that tourniquet down and 
they got her evac to be a, be a care lift and she lived. And um, I found out from the chief later that the one of the, the bullet or the bone fragment had nicked, just nicked her femoral artery. And that um, he, the chief told me himself that, that it's possible I could have saved, it, I, I might have saved her life. And so I look back on that like as a win, you know, like that was a, a quick thinking kind of like, this, that rookie that like didn't know I could put my hands on somebody who wasn't complying to that cop who like maybe saved this lady's life that was like wow I've I've like hey I've I've improved significantly in my profession would you want your kid to be a cop absolutely not <laughs> I love the zero hesitation, but why? Why would you want your kid not to be a cop? Okay, so I've got three kids. Um, uh, two of them are technically my stepsons, but I've been their stepdad since they were six and four, and they're eighteen and sixteen now. So I'm their dad, as far as I'm concerned. Um, they just don't have my last name. One of them is in college. And he has a degree plan and he is incredibly, incredibly intelligent and is driven. And he does not want to go into law enforcement. And I, I've told, I, I love my wife and my in-laws. They are wonderful, wonderful people, but they kind of have the same trap mentality that I had about income and, and wealth and careers when I was growing up. Um, but I, I taught all of my kids and told them, don't do that. Don't expect to get rich. Don't expect to have a high paying job. Just find what you love and do that. And you will never work a day in your life. And eventually you will be able, your skills will improve enough that you will be able to make a decent living. So I told the kids, that if they want to be an artist, then be a fucking artist. And I will support them and, and, and encourage them. If they want to be a scientist, be a scientist, whatever it is they want to do. And so I wouldn't want my oldest kid to be a cop because he's got a goal and he's got a career path. And his he is just he's a wonderful young man. And I know that he can do great things but I don't think law enforcement would be something that he would enjoy doing. My middle son is a little different. I think that, I think that he might enjoy law enforcement, but it's not something he's interested in doing. And so if he wanted to be a cop, I would absolutely support him in being a cop. But I would have to make sure that's that he understands what he's getting into. And as far as my youngest goes, my daughter, um, I, I don't think I could trust her with a gun. Honestly, I think she's, she's too temperamental. <laughs> so I wouldn't want her to be a cop because of that. All right. Fair enough. Doesn't huh. like people. <laughs> Let's put it that way. She, she's more of a, an animal person. Well, as long as she's not torturing him. Because then no, that's no, a sign she, of a she, No, see, see, no, she's not torture. My concern is that she would hurt people instead of allowing an animal to be hurt. Right? You know what I'm saying like the uh, you know the the philosophical uh, 
thought experiment about the the train where like you there's a train that's out of control and you have to change the tracks and on one side there's 10 people that you don't know versus the other track there's one person that you do know which which one would you let the train kill kill them all have you ever heard of that one uh i haven't wipe them out all of them you haven't heard of that. Of i can't remember which Wait. philosopher came up with it if it was 10 people and a dog she would let the 10 people <laughs> get plowed through to save this stray dog's life like that's the kind of person my, my daughter is and like i don't fault her for it people are awful just in general they are in your humble opinion what is the best police car of all time so my very first like when i was in field training i got i, I drove a, a ford explorer it was the explorer was the very first car that i was ever driving yeah i know but uh i finished field training and got put on a shift for like the last two months of the year and i was in one of our old crown vicks And so it was a little weird adjusting from being at the height of an Explorer to having to like step out of a Crown Vic because it was so low to the ground. But I was in, I had the, the, the fortune of being in at least one pursuit in a Crown Vic. And uh, if they could recreate, it was, granted, this was a 2011 Crown Vic with 160,000 miles. And it was 2014. Yeah, 2014. It was it was a ragged out piece of shit the way it was treated, right? But a brand new Crown Vic, brand new in 2011, would have probably been the absolute greatest police car of all time. Now that said, my son, who's 16, is wanting to get a car, and he asked me if I would be okay with him saving up money and buying a decommissioned police crown vic from an auction and i told him fuck no you why not because i can't give listen. your balls a tug you tit fucker no hey no that's not fair now because this is the kid that like when he was a, a, a young kid like six seven years old we tried to get him to push the cart at walmart and he would like crash into fucking everything <laughs> so like i am very nervous about this kid getting his license because and he makes comments about like just do 60 and stay in the left lane like going down a residential street like he talks mad shit and i'm really nervous that if he gets behind the wheel of a car he's gonna lose his mind and do something dangerous and i've seen way too many fatalities with young kids going too fast and so i don't want him to have that kind of power this young does that make sense that makes sense that doesn't make sense well, I guess you already told us about shitting your pants. So we've got that one taken care of. Oh, man, that was bad. That brings us to the conclusion of the podcast. Do you have any words of wisdom for all the millions of people out there? Millions and millions of people. Man. Um, I've reiterated it a few times, man. Don't worry about making money if you want to be a cop. Be a cop somewhere that treats their guys right. I, I use guys gender neutral. I don't want to piece of, piss off chief sheriffs. Uh, mm. Like that treats their people right. 
uh, a place that like invests their budget wisely in equipment and the pay, you know, we don't do this job to get rich. So as long as you can pay your bills and you're happy, then that's what you need to look at. So talk to the people where they, where you work before you even put an application, go on a ride out and talk to people right out in day shift and on night shifts. He means ride along, but go ahead. Yeah. Ride along, ride out, whatever. But spend time looking into the department before you put, even put in an app and find some place that you think you'll fit in and don't worry about the money. Fuck bitches make money. You hear it here first. Fuck bitches get money. Sorry, man. I found Jurassic Park sounds and I can't stop. That's hey, I love Jurassic Park. Well, you guys know what to do since we've come to another stunning conclusion of the Very Poorly Made Police podcast. Which apparently, I will not be recording for a little while because I can't fucking talk, which is not good because I have a lot to record. But you guys know what to do. Support the fine sponsors of the podcast because without them, I wouldn't be able to do this monstrosity. And of course, go buy some merch. It's almost Christmas time. Time is running out. Go get the stuff before it's too late. Or fuck everybody and get yourself something nice. With that said, you guys remember. I can talk. I can do it. I'm almost there. Yeah, fuck it. I'm losing my voice. With that said, remember, I love most of you. Bye-bye.